and welcome to Four Color Nerds Podcast Episode 42. I'm Rory, and I'm joined by the other nerds, Carissa. Yo, how you doing? Ryan. Hey, hey. And Christina. Hello. Together we take on the week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there's going to be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, read your week's books, come back, and listen. Each week one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. So this week's pick of the week goes out to Hip Hop Family Tree number 12. The companion song is Act 2 by The Roots. I like The Roots. I fucking love The Roots. The chorus of the song is Hip Hop, You're the Love of My Life. With Hip Hop Family Tree, I originally wanted to go with like an old school hip hop song especially because it's like every single issue they've got like 20 different old school rappers you know I was going through all this stuff and really hard to pick between all of them so this is just a song that I knew of that I like that works with the theme of the love of hip hop so cool cool boom the anticipation of rose as time froze I stared off the stage with my eyes closed And dove into the deep cosmos The impact pushed back the first five rows But before the raw live shows I remember eyes are low, snot nose Rocking gazelle, goggles and eyes are closed Learning the ropes of ghetto survival People not the situation I had to slide through Had to watch my back, my front, plus my sides too When it came to getting mine, I ain't trying to argue Sometimes I wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for you Hip-hop, you the love of my life Life, and that's true. Okay, so we got Hip Hop Family Tree number 12, Fanographics Books, written by Ed Pisker, art by Ed Pisker. Ed Pisker up for an Eisner? Yes, he was up for two Eisners. He did not win. Oh. Which makes me really want to read the ones that actually did win, because if they were better than this, they must be. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, those the words just happen. Yep. Another awesome episode of Hip Hop Family Treat. There's always just so much shit that goes on in these. I love it because it's just like you see all these artists that you're familiar with. Like when he's talking about it's one of the guys puts on, it's like they show the lineup and it's like, oh man, that would have been an awesome show to have been to. Oh my god, that sounds so amazing. Was it Red Hot Chili Peppers? It was Chili Peppers, Ice Tea, Run DMC, and Fishbone. I paid seven hundred dollars <laughs> to rent out an old nasty punk club. When I showed the line getting in, it was like a nice mix of hip-hop street like punks like i like that the crowd that they showed was mixed like a, a mixed genres i mean i think punk rock and hip-hop have a lot in common yeah. same kind of energy especially in the early days but man seven hundred dollars for a whole club that seems really ch- i understand how they said they sound like expensive like it would break them if it didn't go over well but i'm like that seems really low whole building like 1983 money though that's 80s money right there one thing i love about this book real life is so much more crazy and interesting and make shit we read all week. So true. Like, you could not make this stuff up. <laughs> so true. It's like, when they're talking about how all these, like, artists are interconnected and stuff like that, and some of the shit's just crazy, like... They all worked at Sears? They all worked at Sears, <laughs> yeah. And it was like... <laughs> What? Martin Lawrence, Salt and Pepper, and I don't remember who else, but yeah, just crazy little dances like that, you know? Mm. Yeah, really. That's the one hard thing, though. It is, it is rough to review Hip Hop Family Tree because there's so much fucking going on that it's like you can't really like tell people exactly what's going on. Once again, we've got appearances by the Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Ice T. Uh, you get Dr. Dre in there at one point, a young Dr. Dre. I like that one. Oh, that was that was an awesome one. You know, that could have not happened so easily. Because, you know, there was a party that Desi Jeff was DJing at, and the person who was supposed to be with him didn't show up, and Will Smith was at the party, 
I was like, yo, give me the microphone. How many things could have not happened on that night and we would have never had? Yeah. In the thing, it talks about how Fresh Prince like knew a lot of DJ Jazz Jeff's like his tricks and stuff like that. So it's like they were able to react to each other really well, which which went over with the crowd really well because they could play off of each other. Yeah, all kinds of people in this one. KRS-One, uh, of course, Rick Rubin, who's kind of like centrifugal to this, but he's not an artist. He's a producer. KRS-One getting his basically scholarship to like an art school yeah. and using his art talent to paint the side of a truck. That was hilarious. <laughs> Same thing as, as always with Hip Hop Family Tree. All kinds of crazy shenanigans coming around like the birth of hip hop. There's all kinds of artists. Uh, you kind of got to read it to really get it. It's, it's awesome every time it comes out. I love reading it. I love picking it. Figured this week we needed to give it a little bit of recognition. I mean, not that we don't give it the king spot for the week. What I really love about this book, and it has nothing to do with this issue in particular, I love how retro the book looks. It looks like an old school comic. It even looks like it's on like the newsprint. The colors are muted. It's not necessarily my favorite artwork. Their eyes can get kind of wonky and crazy eyes and silly, but it works with that retro style where if I would have saw this type of artwork maybe in a different style in a more a different book, it wouldn't work, but it really works for the, the way it's telling the story in this one. I think it's also really neat because when they draw certain characters, or people, not really characters, I guess, you know, you see Martin and you saw like Will Smith, it was them. It was straight up clear they drew those really well. That retro feel, it feels like this book came from the 80s. Like it looks like an 80s style comic and I love it for that. It reminds me of maybe like Crumb or Harvey Picard. Oh, I love the art style. I think the art style is great. I love it. It's, was it like kind of almost like Crumb-ish? That, it looks like a mad comic to me. It really does, yes. It's a really neat old style that I, I like the style a lot. When comic books used to actually be printed, I mean, this is where we get our name, Four Color Nerds. Like the four color printing process has that like pixelation. Like you can see the dots. And in this, you can see the dots in the picture still. Not pixelation, it's tones, but that's okay. <laughs> Whatever it is looks so 80. It really stands out and I love that they've done that. It really adds to it. So like if you haven't picked it up yet, don't be put up in the art. It really, once you start reading, it, it makes sense. Like we always talk or at least in, in hip hop, they always hustle. Like how people are always hustling to make things happen. And this book just shows you how hard people work to make this stuff happen mm. and how really how much, I don't want to say luck, but how many things have to line up just the right way at just the right moment. And at that moment, you have to be ready. It's amazing to me. Like there's, we had Fat Boys went to like Switzerland to Zurich for like a yodeling contest and they won that contest and that's how they got their record deal, which is a crazy fact that I didn't know in and of itself. But then in this issue, you find out that their connection in Switzerland that they know from that was like the first hip hop concert tour, which is Swatch, which is an amazing <laughs> just coincidences that, you know, from these yodeling rap contests yeah. <laughs> in the Swiss Alps to Swatch coming to America to funding this rap tour, just so many strange coincidences that if you made up a story about this, it's unbelievable, but this is real and that's amazing. It's so true. <laughs> I love looking at some of the like, now that Chris have brought it up, I didn't really think about this, but what I've been doing is like, as I've been reading the various issues, cause it's like, sometimes it's like, I've got to refresh my memory on, you know, okay, who was that? Or, you know, or sometimes I just flat out artists that I don't know. So it's like, I'll look them up and like some of the caricatures that the artist does of the different artists. If you go back and you like pull up pictures of the actual people it's not only is it accurate but it's kind of hilarious how he cartoonizes them he makes it work like i pulled up houdini and i was like oh okay that's right but then it's like looking at the guy i was like oh my god 
that is so funny, like how accurate yet cartoonized. This issue takes me a long time to read because while I'm reading it, I'm watching videos on YouTube of all the different artists that they mention. Yeah. My whole sometimes the person who writes and draws, some people can pull it off and other people can't. He can really pull it off. This is one of those exceptions, I think, to my general rule of splitting the team where it actually works. <laughs> one of the Eisner categories that yeah. he was nominated for is writer artist writer slash artist yeah so yeah he's he's good at both it takes him a little while sometimes to come out with these but they're real good just like how i think you know eric powell can do both you know is that cool that whole thing four and a half bread trucks i'll give it four and a half rock sands i gave it four working at sears captain america steve rogers number three from marvel comics written by nick spencer art by hazel Sayas. Colors by Rachel Rosenberg. So this is continuing the controversial run of Steve Rogers. Opens and closes with a kind of a bookend of Steve's mother and her dealings with Hydra. So it starts out with like in a Hydra community women's league meeting where they're talking about, you know, the food drives. They're, you know, getting clothes for the homeless, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they have their inspirational like Hail Hydra chant at the end. And so it's kind of like a, a kind of like a take on like those kind of like charity groups, which is I think interesting that this is Steve's memories of Hydra, not necessarily what really happened. And then it kind of ends with his mother is wearing like a headscarf, mm-hmm. and the lady that is kind of like the local head of Hydra yeah. comments on it that, you know, it's really hot outside, I mean, inside the building and stuffy. It's unusual that she would wear a scarf, and she kind of moves the scarf aside and sees where her husband beat her, and she's telling her the husband's getting better, and he just made a mistake, and she's making all these kind of excuses. And the lady is clearly, she's not happy about it. She's not taking it. Then you find out at the end what she does about it. It kind of cuts into scenes where Steve is having to explain what happened on the previous missions to the Red Skull. And in this part, I got a really strong Vader Emperor vibe from it. Like when he's going to activate the hologram to talk to the Red Skull, the way that he's kneeling and the way that the hologram appears, the scenes where Vader talks to the Emperor. Thy bidding master. (laughs) And this one, you find out Steve is, he's not exactly being defiant to Hydra, but he's showing mercy. You know, the Red Skull wants no mercy being shown to anyone. He has no, basically no loyalty to anyone. And you can see Steve is, is struggling with it because he's still, you know, at his core, Steve Rogers, but he also is very loyal to Hydra. So he's got kind of this conflict. And you find out that, you see back to that scene where he threw Jack Flag out of the ship with him and Selvig. And Selvig is like really happy. He's like, oh, you're here to rescue me. Great. <laughs> he's like, Nope, no one not. <laughs> Crashes the plane into a building, it explodes, and supposedly kills everyone. But then you find out that Jack Flagg, when he got thrown out of the plane, actually survived. Which, you know, Steve is kind of amazed at that he basically thrown out of a plane and landed into the ground. You can actually see, like, the crater that he's lying in, but it wasn't enough to kill him. And the Red Skull is like, well, why did you do that? Why didn't you just, you know, let him plane crash? It was kind of dumb to throw him out of a plane. And Steve is like, well, you know, he's brave and a good soldier, and he deserves, you know, a funeral which the Red Skull is just not having any of that. Rogers is being too sentimental and showing too much mercy. And there's actually this really cool kind of like Black Hawk Down where the the S.H.I.E.L.D. team is trying to go and get Jack's body because he was thrown down in this like supervillain city. It's not Madripoor, but I don't remember what the name of the city is. Anyway, it's full of like supervillains and they run the place. So Sharon is leading her team to go get Jack's body and they run into the Taskmaster who's actually pretty awesome. I really like the scene where he's fighting Sharon and he stabs her in the hand. He's like, this is actual violence and actual injuries being inflicted on people. This isn't comic book punches and parries of blows. They're trying to 
fucking kill each other. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that. Their plan to get the crowd to disperse was hacking into all the casinos and making the chips that they all had be invalid in like just a couple minutes. So they had to run back to the cashiers <laughs> to cash them all in or lose all their money. <laughs> it's like this great line where he's like, you can either kill Steve Rogers, Kappa, or you can go get your money. <laughs> and like Sharon's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. They'll never <laughs> Money is way more important to them. So I thought that was a nice little way of showing how the supervillains uh, actually are. Yeah. So then kind of the, this is where I think the park is going to go, is that Steve has actually not killed mm-hmm. Dr. Selvig, that he is using him yeah. to, to do something. In the beginning of the book, he talks about people who do the hard things that need to be done that no one else would do. And at first, you're kind of thinking he's talking about all the actions he's taking with Hydra, with you know all of the bombings and murders and like all that kind of stuff. But what I think he's actually talking about is leading a like revolt against the Red Skull. I think that that's what's going to happen, is that he's going to try and overthrow the Red Skull and take control of Hydra. That he thinks Hydra should be more like the organization that his mother, when he was a little kid, which is like, yes, they do end up throwing people in rivers who are like beating their wives and stuff, but they are, you know, giving food to the, the hungry and all these things that Steve could actually go for. So I think he's going to try and overthrow the Red Skull and turn Hydra into something else. That's kind of been my theory the whole time, what's happening now. I mean, the art is fantastic. We don't have as many scenes of the Red Skull doing his amazing demagoguery speeches because. with his, his creepiness with Kovic, but it's still, the art is pretty fantastic. What do you guys think of it? Even if he's loyal to Hydra, fucking Captain America still has to beat fucking Red Skull. I really want there to be a scene where he punches him, like the cover of the <laughs> first Captain America issue. Yeah. Like where he punches Hitler in the face. That would be great. Oh, that would be great. Who knows? It might happen. No, I feel the same way. Uh, Great artwork, great story. I I always expect these stories to be like 100% serious. I love how they've gotten pretty good at like mixing in humor with a serious story. Well, Nick Spencer is all of funny, right? I don't know if you remember when we read Ant-Man, we remembered how funny Ant-Man is. It's the same writer. It's nice having that little mix of it, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a serious story more than I do a comedy story, but it's nice to drop a little humor there every once in a while where it's appropriate. I'm loving this run, so it's it's great. Once again, all you haters out there talking shit, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This is some good stuff. Absolutely. I think he's still inherently Steve Rogers. Hydra, they twisted it, so Hydra represented in his childhood something good for the people, and it's clearly not that way with Red Skull running it. It's just not that. And so I feel like yeah he would try to turn it back he still changed but not if that makes sense he's lawful evil rather than chaotic evil purpose that inspired him to be that way which is what she was doing took effect i think in the long run it's not the exact effect that red skull would have wanted but it's definitely probably the effect that how kobik interpreted it because it's not really, it wasn't the Red Skull's doing, it was Kobik, so everything is through her filter. I feel like there is room for movement and strife in there, and I think that's going to get what's coming out. And I do find that really interesting. It took me a while to realize that was his dad at first at the end, that I had to remember back to that issue where it talked about him being abusive, and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, why are they beating up Steve? <laughs> but I'm like, well, he's a little too old for that. Yeah. That's just on me. I, just, I did like the weird ink drawing Hydra thing on his chest. I thought that was... Oh, that was great. I think it was <laughs> unnecessary, but I also think it was cool. <laughs> Visually striking, but it did seem a little unnecessary. Like, I'm just making a phone call, basically. So here, let me draw on myself shirtless. It's just... 
you know, it's a thing. It was unnecessarily awesome. <laughs> yeah, what's a secret society without rituals? Yeah, I do think people should be reading it, especially the people who are casting judgments on the series without having to read it. It's really something that you need to read to understand. I did think there was a really interesting part where you get to see just how really fucking evil the Red Skull is, where he's talking how, you know, Steve keeps saving people, and the whole thing with Hydra is if you cut off one head, two more will grow. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you need to start killing people. It's a good deal for us when people die. You know, don't <laughs> think about it as a loss. Two will grow in its place, but only if you start cutting off head. It was like, damn. I also like, even though that he is turned and a different person, he still did anything he could to save his lady fair. Yes. First I was concerned, like, oh, is he not going to care? Is he not going to do anything? And then it comes to the day, I'm like, yay. <laughs> four, you don't ever touch her again. I'm going to give it four TripAdvisor ratings. I gave it four Inky Hydra chest. So, moving on. The Beauty by Image Comic, written by Jeremy Hahn and Jason Hurley. Art by Brett Y. Wildell. Wildell. Weld Weldell. I'm, I'm gonna go with that. I think it's number nine. And edited by Joel Enos. This picks up in that new arc. So the girl from last issue, she and Luca did the mission, ended with them having their little um very sexy time. And we learn a little bit more about her past. It starts off saying she spent the next, I believe, three days her and Luca having like a little lover's retreat, it seems. And she talks about what happened when the old man who took her in. It shows what happened to the boys in the alleyway that he first, when he first saw her behind the diner. So he drives and takes her to get rid of the bodies and dump them. And he teaches her basically how deep to bury them or whatever. And explains to her how he was going to intercede and decide not to because she had it well in hand. And basically say, but you know, you owe me. And so she thought, okay, so she went and did a job for him. But then at the end of the job, he hands her like a fat stack envelope full of cash. And she's like, um, but I did a job for you. I don't need this. You know, he's like, no, it's like you did a job. I'm paying you. We're square. But would you like to do more? Training montage of her history of them, him teaching her, her getting better, her becoming a sniper. Then basically him accepting her for who she is and getting her on hormone therapy and finding a doctor to help her go through the the transition into a, a woman and just how he became her family and how he introduced her to his boss and you know basically her kind of career up until this point and then it, it intercuts that a lot with her time with Luca you know mentions how he came into the picture and how he's one of the family and how he's pretty him saying how he loves their time with her and do they suspect they're gonna find out and she's like no so she gets called back into the diner for something and the boss he basically says that something went wrong with their mission, like the hard drive that they were supposed to get or something got compromised and it was really sloppy and right. not clean. And the higher ups in their organization think that it was Luca because no one has seen him in three days since they supposedly parted ways. They, they want to take him out. Eventually she comes out and comes clean. It's like, no, he was with me this whole time. And he's like, that's great. I believe you. However... They won't. It's like, well, I'll give you time because this shit's going to go down. I can buy us some time before you decide what we're, you want to do. He gives her the choice. Like, he explains the consequences of what she's going to do. That she can, even though she knows he didn't do it, if he kills her, you know, everything can continue along as her. But if they split, if they run, mm -hmm. it's over. You know, she can never come back. That will be the end of it. Yeah. So she goes back and she tells Luca what happened. So they decide that you know, she can't do it. She couldn't kill him and everything like that. So she calls Parks and he's like, I understand. Sets up a plan telling her when and where and what they're going to do. She goes to his apartment and she's on the phone. Comes in with her going in there and someone basically, look at it, they tortured him. They had him tied up and they slit Parks 
Mark's throat. It's brutal. So this is a big detraction from the detective conspiracy story that had been going on. They haven't actually really covered the beauty STD in a while, but I'm still intrigued because there's still that fact that she has it, you know, and I'm really curious when she got it or if like the hormones i'm curious how it that physiological aspect of how that came to be knowing that she is a trans woman and really interesting story with really interesting characters like i always say i like things that i haven't seen before Mm -hmm. sometimes i'm referring to visuals but these are characters i've never seen in not only comics but in most show me another trans person of color who's a total badass in any movie comic book TV show, you're just, you're really not going to find, it's very unusual and seeing a story through eyes you haven't seen it through before, to me is really interesting. So the writing here is really strong. I still don't like the art they use in the flashbacks. I mean, I get that it's kind of more dreamlike because it's not what's actually, you know, it's like a memory that's happening. I mean, I don't hate it. I think it's very watercolory. It looks kind of unfinished. You know, the effects of time, whatever it will make. Yeah, they're trying to make it look different enough so you can, so don't, it's not as confusing. Using. I get that. But I know I love the story. I mean, even though it ha- right now it's not covering much of anything about the beauty, I'm sure that's going to circle around. But I like that it's interesting in that world on its own. That to me is another, the other objection, in addition to the art that I have, is that this story has almost nothing to do with the beauty. My opinion on this is trying to pitch a book about a trans assassin African-American is probably not an easy sell, but if you already have a title that you've got the green light on, you can probably crank out an arc that would not have gotten approved otherwise. This was run around to getting a separate series approved. I think it might come around. I, I, I know there's some styles of storytelling which will de- seem like it's a departure, but it circles back around and you see how it clicks in. So I'm thinking that's probably where this is going. Like this part of the story probably does have something to do with it. The boss boss that she's going to go after maybe has a bigger part of the whole beauty spread and everything like that or the conspiracy as a whole. Clearly, someone in their organization did this and is blaming yeah. the other person, which is why they won't care what evidence yeah. is you know, present. But I really liked Parks, so I am super bummed. I have a soft spot for, like, badass old men who are kind of grumpy but are also very helpful <laughs> and care about people, so I really liked They did a really good job as a sympathetic, you know, like, father figure. Yes. He takes care of her and he guides her, but he never really tells her what to do. Like, he always gives her choice for what she's going to do. Yeah. And I think he believes in her and trusts her to, you know, he trusts her judgment. This, that made me very sad. I was really hoping, I knew that's probably where it was going to go, but I was very bummed <laughs> when it happened. I gave it four, do as I say, not as I do. I will give it three and a half shallow graves. <laughs> So that is going to lead us into more uh, creepy murders. Extra creepy murder. All right. I got Black Eyed Kids number four, Aftershock Comics, written by Joe Pruitt, art by Simon Kudansky, colors by Guy Major. Hey, I managed to pronounce them all right this week. I like Guy Major's (laughs) name. Guy Major and the Von Badger dude need to do something together. Von Badger? Yes. (laughs) They need to do something together. So, black-eyed kids, we leave off with Michael, the lead. Black-eyed kid is uh, trying to kill off the remainders of his family. Get a nice little intro with our local police officer who's been running around answering all these calls. Basically goes home and starts drinking. (laughs) That poor 
guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's had one hell of a night. For sure. We see how he's going to get drawn into this plot as he, uh, you know, he's talking to his boss and they're not saying what, exactly what he's saying, but he like, yeah, at one point or another, he gets pissed off and slams his bottle of scotch or whatever, his uh, glass of scotch or whatever it was into the counter and cuts his hand wide open. So he's saying he needs to go to the hospital. Then you have the three uh, black eyed kids are going after Michael's family. They all show up on the sister that, you know, comatose or whatever in the hospital right as he's getting ready to commit the act well then it turns out that the father just happens to be there waiting for him and like you know puts a gun to his head and then he like is that michael himself there or was that somebody else that snaps snaps the dad's wrist yeah they don't they don't really like make him like easily differentiable but i think it was another one of them that basically like fucking grabs and snaps his wrist and stuff they're pretty obviously powerful (laughs) the girlfriend she pulls a cross on one of them they're like um we're not vampires and she goes oh works just as well and stabs him with the (laughs) crucifix i love that imagery that's probably one of the stronger images i've seen in comics for a while where she stabs that guy through the neck with the crucifix oh it's just it's amazing visually because that's where you have like this book is mostly in you know heavily black and white but very mm. dark monotones and all the blood when she stabbed that kid the red really yeah, like, really sure. pops on it and just i mean that imagery like, like using a cross to stab somebody in the throat like that's that's some powerful images right somebody hits the kid michael across the head with a like a bedpan or something like that knocks him down and then they're all like getting ready to run they get backed into a corner by another one of the black guy kids and all of a sudden this strange mysterious figure pops up from behind him snaps his neck and then uh pulls out a big old like freaking it's either a, like a bowie knife or a machete <laughs> a big fucking knife i think it's a bowie knife fucking knife yeah it looked like a bowie knife to me and then like cuts its head off so then this new character so clearly he's not it's not his first rodeo (laughs) he tells him to like you know grab up some gear and stuff like that and he says that he tells everybody that he was a friend of the ex-wife's parents and that's about all you find out about him and then there's like a bunch of black-eyed kids standing outside the hospital so they they basically like kind of like stealth by him by just like acting like normal people and kind of like being incognito walking out the emergency room they say like stare straight ahead don't make eye contact walk with purpose yeah. Which is really good advice for getting into any place that you're not supposed to be or getting away with something is to act like you belong there. Exactly. Blend into a crowd. Don't use that advice for nefarious purposes, uh, nerds, yep. but I'm just saying. We're not legal experts, but <laughs> that's where Black Eyed Kids uh, left off this time. Uh, to me, I still think the story's going strong. The artwork's phenomenal. It just keeps on getting better for me. They've got these new crazy characters, just awesome violence. What else do you need? I'd like to see this made in to a movie almost but not that not that this isn't already movie like but i mean this is really fucking good made for an adaptation to a movie or a tv yes. series it would adapt so well it very much reminds me of 30 days of night you know just in the overall like feel yeah. the feel of the black eyed kids is very much like that to me yeah just this unstoppable malevolent almost like force of nature exactly struggle with black eyed kids well in general like i don't i don't have any big complaints about it and in theory i like it like i agree that it would probably be a very good tv show or a movie i don't love it as much as you guys do where i love clean room and some of the other darker ones this one is just kind of okay yeah they're being creepy <laughs> i feel like i'm pushing my way through it when i read it like i don't know what it is about it doesn't really super engage me oh, the points you guys made so i'm used to i grew up watching like children of the corn and weird things like that in the twilight the points you guys make i really like yeah the crucifix through the neck was absolutely fantastic and parts are really creepy and i hit it but 
when I'm reading it, I just find myself really struggling to be engaged, I guess. I'm not really concerned what's happening. I just kind of want it to end. I'm like, I don't want it to end in a way where I'm creeped out and, I, and I'm and i just I'm unsettled. I'm just kind of, and I don't really think it's bad. I just, it's I feel kind of indifferent towards it, I guess. But then there's parts where you bring up, there's different, definitely good parts where I think, yes, this is really good storytelling. This is really interesting, but it doesn't click for me. And I'm not sure why that is. I haven't been able to pinpoint it yet. I wouldn't tell someone not to read it. It's atmospheric. It's violent, menacing. Oh, I just, I love this book. I'm going to give it four crucifixes to the neck. Oh, you took my thing. I knew I did. I will give it four walk with purpose. Damn it, that was mine! <laughs> oh, Stilorama. Like a white elephant uh, gift exchange. We just keep taking everyone. I gave it two and three quarters. Don't touch my daughter or get away from my daughter. Now to a book that I'm really excited about talking about. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so that brings us back to the Marvel Universe to the Totally Awesome Hulk number nine, Marvel Comics, written by Greg Pak, art by Mike Del Mundo, colors by Mike Del Mundo and Marco D'Alfonso. So basically, after reading the last Civil War issue, I was really confused because the last issue of Totally Awesome Hulk was basically they had cured Bruce Banner and he was sitting outside their lab looking off into the distance like, oh, life is good. I'm cured now. Everything's going to be fine. Then Civil War, he gets totally killed like i've been reading all totally awesome hulk but i need to talk about the hulk and what's going on with it i love cho is yeah this one is pretty cool this is basically you know they're hearing the trial of clint and really awful things where they're talking about the hulk you know there's still another hulk out there and what are we going to do about him which is really menacing and like lynch mobby yeah well there's plenty of things we can point to where people are encouraging hatred and violence towards people based on fear so i think they're... that's still a person you're basically saying that oh i hope you die too so this is basically Cho is like super depressed and lying in bed, you know, and that's when Carol and Steve Rogers and a whole bunch of guys show up to check up on him. So they have the, all the guys like floating in the air and one of them is Captain America. I didn't see Steve or anyone. I just saw Carol and a bunch of her goons. It's, yeah, it's her, Captain America and the... Oh yeah, I can see him right there. He's He kind of blends in though. In that okay, because I didn't see that. All I saw was like, that looks like her and a, and a goon squad. And it's just very tense conversations between him and Carol. And I really didn't like Carol in this one, actually. I thought she was... <laughs> I mean, yes, she was, you know, saying... Everything she was saying did not match her tone, body language, or the situation. The message was very clearly, we're here to check up on you, and if things aren't all right, there's going to be a problem. And he's like, look, you've got so many sensors on me right now. You can tell my heart rate's fine. My, you know, all of my levels are totally normal. I'm perfectly calm. And then there's these really interesting exchange between him and Carol, where Carol's like, you know, you're such a jokester. Can we be serious for a minute? And he's like, Serious? You want to be serious? Let's, you know, let's get real, basically. You know, in my head, I know what happened and why you did it. But in my heart, it's a different... And then there's this really yeah. awesome part that I just love. Like, at the end, where they're getting ready to leave, and he's like, uh, Carol, I have a question for you. If I did go crazy, what makes you think you could stop? And I was like, oh my... Yeah, and then not only that, did you see... So, what we talked about in the last Civil War, where you said you zoomed in to see if Banner's eyes were green in the drawing. In that panel, though, Cho's eyes are clearly go green, and I was like, that's a nice touch. So, if anyone who noticed the whole line about, oh, I thought I saw Banner's eyes turn green, and we 
zoomed in and they and they weren't they were brown this one when he's saying that to carol there's a glint of green and i was like that is her yes there is that's so well done that's perfect like i haven't got to the artwork for this the art the art is very different mm -hmm. interly which i'm not a fan of but yeah. the writing and story on this is so good that i i overlook the fact that this is not an art style i really like. oh i love the art it's all watercolor oh i thought it was dreamy and beautiful i love the artwork so then through their badass you know stare down uh, at his house he goes and is basically going on like a rampage through like west virginia just like smashing things up and tearing things apart and shield is monitoring it and carol's there and they're like levels are rising it's dangerous he's near you know a populated area we need to do something and carol to her benefit i will say this for her she doesn't call in the forces she just keeps telling him wait 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 and then at the end, it kind of zooms back to the satellite shot, and you can see the Hulk has gone through and carved into basically the topography. It was really good. I liked the, the sort of the tension there, and that not exactly menace, but just Cho being like, like I have power that you can't even begin to comprehend. Like, do not make me your enemy. I really, I liked it. I like seeing his response to <laughs> Banner, who's you know one of his best friends and mentor and person he looks up to, who he cured, you know, being murdered, and his reaction to that. So I really enjoyed this i thought this was a really good book to read after the last civil war kind of answered a lot of questions and filled stuff in for me that i thought was important to to know i this probably would have been my pick of the week if it was my week if it, this week was my week to pick i love this one i love that basically cho is like i'm calling you on your shit and he's just snarky kind of teenager doing it and the whole thing is kara saying wait wait i think it's because she you know she knows that there's been some fuck up <laughs> and i don't really think that that's really like to her benefit i think it's more of a like she's scared to do anything <laughs> she like at the point i need evidence then now no i like you didn't like the artwork i love the artwork i thought it was beautiful i love the whole made you look it made me laugh like i was like yes that's funny i thought it's very similar in style to what's going on over in the beauty but this is much better this is a much better version of that art well i think the beauty that that's just for the the flashbacks this is this overall so i think overall when it's not broken up like that it definitely worked i think better and this, this is just different artist so this artist definitely is used to this style at the end i forgot to mention kind of the cliffhanger reveal kind of thing where you know she probably needs to back off from show that she's pushing him too hard and then you get this voice that's just really awesome like everyone else has white you know word panels like white with black lettering then these are black panels mm -hmm. with white lettering then you find out it's black panther He's basically got his version of like the Hulkbuster mix that he's inside. Yeah. Which I thought was really kind of cool. The whole point was was that Cho is basically showing I can control this. Unlike Banner, I am way more in control of my Hulk self than ever. Like, you know, the part where shows him flexing, then growing down in size. It even mentioned how his heart rate and his endorphins, everything like that is normal. He has way more control of that power than Banner ever did. Yes, I love it. But I did think it was a mistake. I mean, it was a totally shitty move to show up with all your that goon squad. It's like, especially right after that happens, like, oh, so am I next on your list? You're coming for me? Behind understand you need backup if you're against the hulk but it was like wow it's kind of an insult you might have learned from the last time you confronted the hulk don't bring like 50 guys with you yeah you captain marvel and you've got captain america with you, you may yeah. not be able to but you could get away i don't think you need to bring that many people that's kind of the direction I was going with this, is that, okay, because if you think about it, the whole uh, vision that Ulysses has is he has a vision of the Hulk going around and killing everybody, right? Well, so they've killed Bruce Banner now, but they're pissing off Cho, and so, and you know, he punks Captain Marvel, like, right in front of everybody, you know, and... 
multiple times. And so one thing I was thinking about with this is that maybe the uh, the Hulk they saw in the vision wasn't Bruce Banner. Maybe it was Cho. I brought that up. The pants are different. Oh, Cho has very distinct shorts. And so they were different. I mentioned that when we first saw that vision and I was like, well, maybe it was Cho. But then, yeah, we zoomed in and like, because Cho has like shorts with like stripes on them. Okay, you were wrong, but then you brought on this. Maybe don't poke the teenager who can turn into the Hulk and make him mad. It's like, it's like you're just asking for it. He's there eating ramen, mourning the loss of his friend. You're going to go poke at him and, yeah. you know, basically insinuate that he's going to do something wrong while he's just there being sad. Because it's basically a power play on her part. You know, to be like, yeah. we're watching you, motherfucker. And then he's punks her back and says, you, you, what makes you think you could stop me? <laughs> I will say I love Chala's Kitty Hulkbuster. It's like kind of cute. <laughs> it does. It, but it, I'm sorry. It's cute. It's not menacing. He, it's like a big bulky cat mech. I love it. The fucking kawaii Hulkbuster. I love it. Yeah. I gave it five green glints in the eye. I'm going to give it four. You want serious? <laughs> I definitely enjoyed the intimidation factor that Cho was throwing in there. I was like, that's shit that I would say. <laughs> next one, next one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Civil War 2. Obviously by Marvel Comics. Issue number four. Uh, Marvel Comics written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by Dave Marquez. Colors by Justin Ponser. We go back and join into the whole Civil War shenanigans. We start off with Captain Marvel. She goes and visits uh, She-Hulk in the hospital. She's apparently came back and she's having to answer to Jennifer on what happened to Bruce Banner. And she mm. does not too happy. <laughs> yeah. And... And and she's obviously fucking getting pissed. <laughs> oh, those panels were amazing. Yeah, the Civil War thing is—it's dark. I mean, it's totally Minority Report, but it's—it's it's getting ugly. It made me wonder, like, yeah, maybe she will. Whose side will she end up on later? Yeah, I understand this particular time she's mad. Just so as we discovered in Totally Awesome Hulk, Hawkeye walks or Hawkeye, as we were just talking about. <laughs> And then flash forward to Tony Stark, and he's having this conversation about the whole Ulysses. He's trying to figure out what he needs to do, you know, because obviously, you know, now Bruce Banner's dead. He's still very suspicious over Ulysses, and so he's had, having this long conversation, the nature of Ulysses' mind and how not only are... How he's taking in these visions and how they're hitting him and how essentially like he's going through all these awful, horrible situations like as though he's there. And so that's got to have like an effect on him, like a PTSD type sort of thing. And so since the visions are affecting him, then he's essentially affecting the visions also. So he goes on and he gets in depth on how like passively absorbing basically all the data of all the energy of everything that's going on all over the world. And so that's how he's essentially coming up with these visions is they're not necessarily really what's going to happen, but more it allows them to create an algorithm or, or see a possibility of the future. He's going through all this and they're showing like all these scenes of things that are happening. You know, like when Captain Marvel arrests a woman who has in her briefcase. It's an empty briefcase. 
not just anything suspicious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that's like he's going on about this speech and he's t- talking about how everybody's chasing around this the, this algorithm and how, you know, it's like, where does this whole thing stop? And then he, you know, basically says, here's the big spoiler, if you haven't read it yet, is that he's sitting there and he's talking and he's explaining all this stuff. And then he says, he, if I'm in the wrong here, let me know and I'll stop. And he turns around and there's Captain America and that's who he's using as impartial judge, which is like a real dun-dun-dun. That's basically the Illuminati that he's talking to. Ah. Um, who are the people? Infinity Gauntlets and are the ones who shot the Hulk into space and, and all of that. So these are like the most powerful people in the Marvel Universe that he's talking to. The movers makers, the God. makers, you know. He was like the drawings of him, they just evoke so much emotion. He looks like he's really struggling. I just love how they're drawn. Like this the city in the dark, the shadow of his head in his hands. Like I really like those panels. If this doesn't win an Eisner for artwork, I will be amazed. This is career-defining work. This is amazing. I had to take a photo right away. Just that those panels of Tony, just while he's yep. starting the talk, he's like, I wanted to be wrong. Oh, I, I love that. Th- those panels were gorgeous. Agreed. Good face acting. They have a lot of good face work in this, both with Tony, definitely mm-hmm. with Carol, and with Jennifer in this issue. Like, a lot of very well-drawn, emotion-evoking faces, you know, that really, like, drag you into the story. <laughs> and I love how he, they make reference to the original Civil War, too. Yeah, where well, he's talking to Captain America, and he's like, I never want to do that again. I never want to side the you. Moral line in the sand, yeah. I was just like, nice nod. That was, I thought that was really well-placed. It didn't seem to contrive. Like, they were, like, trying to put in the... It felt natural right there. I liked it. I think that's key to this story to making it so as good as it is so it continues on like it's, it's still kind of the same same idea i think this is tony budging a little bit right here because he's in a tough predicament which is the right choice is it protect people and i mean this is something mm-hmm. that parallels our society right now you know is it better information available to protect people or is it more important to give people the freedom to make their choices something that i mean parallels a lot of like modern law, law enforcement not to mention you know global terrorism and stuff like that it's, it's something that's very I don't know what the right word is, but it's it's very an interesting discussion for thought in these times. Ties into the zeitgeist of the time. Yes, yes, thank you. That's that's. Germans have good thing. words for things. Yeah, words. <laughs> <laughs> zeitgeist, Schrodinger. They got lots of good words. Yeah, all, all those other words that the English majors use that I will never use. <laughs> He's in a very tough predicament, and, you know, Carol's just kind of like, she's stuck on her, she thinks about it her one way, and that's, you know, she's made up her mind, like, that's how it is. The whole conversation ends up when she brings up Rhodey, and of course, Tony has to uh, take a shot about that one. That is like the final straw with her, and she just jumps through the fucking roof. She tries to play the whole, well, I want McCoy to look at it, and he's like, oh, I already have. Well, he's like, it's not wrong, you know? <laughs> she was saying it to throw Tony off, and, you know, I was like that all the bases were already covered kind of thing. I don't know if she was going to throw him off. I just think he's clearly biased in this into a neutral party. Like, I know you don't agree with me that Carol is trying to figure this out. In my opinion, she is seeking out people to investigate this 
to understand, you know, what she's doing. But she's also clearly biased because she wanted her person. She wanted Beast to look at it because, you know, that is her person. The jumping through the roof thing, though, that was pretty funny because I liked where he's like, I could have told you the probability on that. I was like, hee hee hee, that's funny. I am impartial about it, actually. I see both sides of the uh, coin here. I'm not attached to either character, I would say. What happens is that they go and they talk to the woman that they have now captured and they're holding her against her will and they have nothing on her. You know, Carol tells her that she basically, she's like, I, I can hold you as long as I want indefinitely without any sort of repercussions. You know, everybody else is like kind of telling her like, dude, you need proof. We can't just hold her here. And and she's kind of like taking the, you know, we'll, we will find it eventually because they're convinced that she's some sort of Hydra agent or something. And then poof, she disappears from Nightcrawler, poofs her out. That was pretty badass. That was really badass. I thought that was awesome too. <laughs> the big showdown between basically, yeah, all the, let's see here. Who do we got here? <laughs> On Iron Man's side, it's the Avengers. Yep. And some of see- the X-Men. Yep. And both Captain America's. And then on Marvel's side, you've got the Ultimates, you've got Alpha Flight, uh, and the Inhumans. Kamala yep. is with Iron Man. Also well, she's Shane. part of the Avengers. Well, I know, but I'm just making a point that Kamala did change sides. Yep. Yeah, so Iron Man's got the young beast. He's got the young X-Men. Uh, he's got Nova. Kamala. He's got Power Man. He's got Kate Bishop. He's got both uh, Captain Americas, Doctor Strange, Miles Morales, The Vision. Some pretty heavy hitters, right? Carol's got herself, obviously. The Inhumans, uh, like I said, the Ultimate Panther and Blue Marvel and the most powerful beings in the universe, basically. Yeah. And then Alpha Flight, so you got Puck and Sasquatch and, like, all those guys. Well, think some of those are just goons, shield goon squad. She does have, what, she has Ant-Man and Chala. And is that, is that Jean or is that the Phoenix back there? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> like, uh, you're kind of outgunned here. Which, I don't know, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm going, you're looking at the two different teams. And it, yeah, it does seem like Tony Stark's kind of got her outgunned. But still, it's kind of a tight situation there, you know? And then, of course, the the Guardians of the Galaxy come dropping in, you know. <laughs> in, in general, of what happened, the fact of what, what happened. Oh, I'm curious how that's going to sway her. Okay, so we got the showdown going on with both sides. Yeah. With all their forces lined up. Yep, so it looks like it's going to be a nice big battle roll. And I'm hoping that the Guardians split up once they hear more of the both sides of the story. I'm hoping they also split and then pick also. Yeah, that's Carol's kind of ace in the hole where she's like, yeah, I'm not outmatched. I have, you know, and that's when the Guardians show up. Forward to the Guardians issue because they, she basically only told them that Tony was going off the rails. I honestly don't know if they know the whole story. And so I'm curious to see how that plays out. You know, I can see them jump, definitely jumping to come to help. But then when they see like, well, if, if he's off the rails and why does he have all these people? I'm thinking that it's, that team can also split. Right. Maybe. Well, I'm sure they will. That's the whole point of Civil War is that everyone's going to get. Like, I can't imagine Quill siding with authority. There's some, it'll be interesting. Given the nature of the Guardians, especially not really following the rules, kind of bordering the line of thievery <laughs> and, you know, stuff like that. Then maybe not wanting to be profiled, you know, <laughs> would be a good thing. Quill would probably not want to be profiled, or Rocket for that matter, would not want to be profiled. I just love that last panel, how Rocket's like, oops. <laughs> I think this one kind of defines the issue. Like, it doesn't give you the answer for who's right but now you at least know what's going on the question of whether you should act on the information hasn't really changed you just know the nature of the information but kind of like you were saying rory this is the basis for pretty much all police work military action and espionage Uh 
I just got in an argument with somebody about this a day ago. I go with Benjamin Franklin. Giving up liberty for security, you're going to lose both of them. You know, that's always been my philosophy. It's better to err on the side of liberty. For some people, it's the other way around, where... They believe that it's worth giving up a little bit of freedom to to make sure that you're secure and safe, you know. And I guess it just depends on how you're wired, you know, what how you think about life, your life experiences, mm-hmm. if you've had bad run-ins with authority or if you've kind of or never had a bad in, run-in with authority. You know, it's easier to think in like a, a topian method, you know, about like a dystopian society if you've actually, you know, ran into the the wrong end of the law unjustly you know if you haven't if you've always kind of like if the worst thing you've ever had happened to you was a speeding ticket you know it's easy to be pro security it's an interesting argument and i like the way and like not only that they brought it up but the way they brought it up is really interesting and it provides a new venue to kind of explore this argument and both sides of it for that matter so i'm gonna give it four and a half oopses i will give it four and a half empty briefcases I gave it four and a half. I wanted to be wrong. Batgirl, number one, DC Comics, written by Hope Larson, art by Raphael Albuquerque, colors by David McCaig. So this has Batgirl on like a walkabout vacation, backpacking through Japan, which, you know, (laughs) usually people think backpacking through Europe, but she is in Japan. She is checking into a, a hostel. I guess there's going to be a big festival happening that she wants to attend. She was also part of the reason why she wants to go to this festival is because one of her, like, I I guess icon, well, not really an icon, idols, I guess would be the word, Fruit Bat from like the 1930s or 40s, she said, was basically a vigilante superhero in Japan at that time. And someone she's actually looked up to, she thinks, you know, basically the Batgirl of her time kind of thing. And the woman's still alive and basically got unmasked, you know, at She's 104 and lives with her son or something now. And she's hoping to run into her. She runs into her friend, Kyrie. Really? Out of all the places in the world that... It's one thing if he was staying at the same hostel. But no, he's her roommate in the hostel. That is a forced meet cute. Nor- so they're going to hang out. They go out and they catch up. Explain where they're at currently. You know, she makes him eat octopus. You know, like you do. So they're at the festival, hanging out. And she sees Fruit Bat, old lady, in a wheelchair with her elderly son. Yeah, her son is not cool. And basically, he ditches his mom with some strange young girl, that American, that he's never met before. Thinks, it's okay, just watch her. Don't let her basically roll away, I guess. She's going, she's talking. Then Kai's attacked because he wanders off into the festival <laughs> to enjoy it. And fighting commences with whatever that weird sailor scout schoolgirl. They're fighting. You know, bang, bang. You know, they're you know doing their thing and um, wanting some sort of formula or antidote or something. And Fruit Bat appears and like kicks butt and like, you know, seems super fast and, you know, basically tells her to get lost. Then after the fight, then she helps her back. Like, do you need to get to the wheelchair? This person was in a wheelchair, but all of a sudden she moves super fast. She's like, oh, I was moving to block this the thing before she even threw it. You know, you need to learn a better teacher. And then basically, yeah, she's like passing out and or dying. I can't really tell. She, she's not good. Like that used up all her energy to do that. It seems like she's old and feeble. 104, right? Then she's back at the hostel relaxing and Kai comes back in and he's basically telling her and he's at first you think he's accusing her of actually being Batgirl. But then he words it in a way where he says, I think Batgirl's here because of you. You're never around when Batgirl's around. You really should. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I think Batgirl's your guardian angel. You've always had someone looking out for you, you know, and your dad, Commissioner <laughs> Gordon and Batman are so close, and it only makes sense that someone's looking out for you. Batgirl's her guardian angel. So I thought that was interesting. So there's that. Basically, she saw like a billboard. That was nearby when she was getting away, you know, to you know get out of her costume and, you know, resume her identity after this. That leans to say what the old lady meant was this place in Singapore. So she turns to Kai and it's like, yeah, would you like to, you know, so I guess their trip's going to go. She's going to look up this, like, fighter <laughs> thing, I guess. So that was it. I thought it was cute. It was fun. I felt, think, feel like it definitely leaned towards a younger audience, I think. It had that kind of younger feel, like a teen comic. Really liked the old lady kicking butt. I thought it was badass. You know, the story was good, entertaining. The artwork is, it's an interesting, like, it's a very rough style, but I like it. its I think it's done in the right way. It's not, like, super clean like some comic book art is. Done the right way. It's, it's the right way of uh, rough sketching. I really enjoyed it. There was a lot of, there's humor, there's some good fighting in there, you know. Uh, I enjoyed the artwork. This, yeah, the story starts off a little goofy as they, you know, just happen to be in the right place at the right time in the right country. I, I think it's a pretty interesting start off. I'm pretty excited to see where this is going to go. I love this. I think the art is fantastic. Yes. I love the way that they draw uh, Barbara Gordon. She's. I love when they have the, the fight scenes that they're actually doing things in the fight. It's not just generic punch and kick. You know, I really do like fight scenes where things matter. And then I love the scenes where she's trying to find what happened in the fight and process it all. You see that panel of her kind of thinking, and then it shows you like a sketch of what happened where everyone bounced and how things, you know, ricocheted in the fight where she's figuring stuff out. I like the facial expression she's making where she's trying to figure all that out. I really like the lady and the wheelchair that Barbara understands what it's like because she's been in a wheelchair. She understands how dismissive and rude, you know, her son is to her. So I thought that was Really interesting and a nice little nod back to what's happened to her in the past. I just, I thought this was fantastic. I agree. Definitely one of the stronger titles from DC. Definitely. All right, read them up, read them up, read them up. I gave it three and three quarters cut neckerchiefs. I'm going to give it four sailor clowns. (laughs) I will give it four and a half fruit bats. We have Red Hood and the Outlaws, Rebirth number one. From DC Comics, written by Scott Fidel, art by Dexter Soy, colors by Monica Gandini. I took this for myself because I've, I've always thought Red Hood and the Outlaws was pretty fucking terrible. That was going to fall on the, the sword for you guys, so I figured I'd take what was going to be a bad DC book. But I will have to say that I was really surprised. Like I said, I am not a fan of Red Hood and the Outlaws, and I actually really liked this issue. Mm-hmm. I, liked, I thought the art was really good. I thought it hit on the relationship between Batman and Robin. Like the opening scene, you know, where he's stealing the tires off the Batmobile. It's not a new scene, but I like the way that they presented that. And I like, you know, where Batman has, basically, he's like holding up and he's like, I want you to answer this question. Think about what you're going to say. And you're like, oh shit, Batman's <laughs> going to do something really bad to him, you know? He's like, are you hungry? Yeah. He takes him to get some burgers, and they're eating <laughs> burgers off the hood of the Batmobile, you know? Which was a nice little bonding moment. You know, and they're talking about how, you know, people, if you give people a chance, they'll surprise you. So then you get kind of like a montage of all the training with him as Robin. And then it kind of cuts to going after the mayor and basically shooting him in the face while Batman is there trying to stop him. And there's actually a really cool conversation later on where you find out that it's not a bullet that he shot him with. There was like a, what do you call it, nanos or whatever. They were in the mayor that he was shooting him with like an antidote. And Batman's like, well, why didn't you just tell me what you were doing? And then Red Hood is like, well, why didn't you just trust me? And I thought that was a nice way to illustrate their dynamic. 
neither one of them trust the other. I like there was uh, some flashbacks to the Joker uh, beating him to death with a crowbar. There's a really excellent holding his dead body, uh, Batman holding the dead body of Robin uh, in that classic pose, which is the Ada, uh, where Mary is holding Christ, which is a classic pose, and this is a really well drawn version of that. Uh, I just thought that this was really interesting. That Red Hood is basically saying Pose is a criminal. Batman's telling him, you know, you're so close to the edge anyway, this could be really dangerous. I'm going to keep an eye on you, and if you step over the edge, you know, I'm coming for you. Like I said, normally I'm not a big fan of Red Hood, especially when they did the new 52. But this one, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed this way more than I thought. I only know Red Hood, honestly, from watching Teen Titans, the animated Batman handmade series. Which in those, I, I actually, I like it. So I didn't really know much background-wise. Yes, because this is how much of a not-a-DC fan I am. Like <laughs> I only know DC basics. So I only know Red Hood from cartoons. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was really interesting. I, I liked the pacing. The story that it was actually telling, I actually found it a little bit inter- more interesting. Because <laughs> I tend to like characters that kind of have a little bit darker edge to them. Like, you know why Batman's cooler than Superman. So I did like the bonding moment, yet bad boy, I guess, <laughs> aspect of it. But I did like the fact that I got to learn more about something that I just saw in passing before as another as a character. Dug it. On the artwork side, artwork was phenomenal. I really like how everything's pretty much muted out color-wise, except for uh, the anything that's red and boxes of Jason's thoughts as he's narrating himself throughout this whole thing. I don't know. I think it's exciting. It was a good little beginning plot twist when he jumps in and it's like it looks like he shot the mayor, but he didn't. I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, it's going to be a chance to see a, a Batman character come in and and go into the dark underbelly of Gotham and see like the the crime side. And all I could say is that Joker scene where it shows where Joker killed him because originally Joker had killed uh, Jason Todd. Watching that scene was just like, oh, man, that is so freaking brutal. Like it's basically almost as brutal as the original scene, you know, where when Joker kills him. So, it, oh, man, it was really good. Oh, him with that crowbar, that drawing was, oh, yeah, it was, that was a, I just love the look on his face. It's oh, so creepy and intense. Well, it's one of the most violent, like, real-world violent uh, parts of, like, comic history. Mm-hmm. You know, when the Joker beats him to death, there's no bit-fitting pal. It is a fucking brutal, skull-crushing beatdown with a crowbar. It's yep. intense. You know, deserving for the scene if they're going to kill off a character. And there's also a part of this narration, one thing that I really like, where he's describing everything that happens, and there's a line where he's, I don't know what happened next because I'm dead. Yes. Uh... Yeah. I mean, they do talk about the Lazarus Pit bringing him back, which I don't know if you know too much about the Lazarus Pit, but it fucks with your mind when it brings you back, too. So, I mean, this one was, was much, much better than I thought it would be. Um, I would strongly recommend that you, you give this a, a try. Yeah, I think so, too. If only for that flashback with the Joker. Oh. Even if, like me, you were expecting it to be pretty shitty, you would be surprised if this was pretty good. So I give it four Lazarus Pits. So I'm going to give this one four crowbars. I gave it four. Most certainly am the sentimental type. Okay, I'm going to bring it home now. So those are the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter. At Instagram, you can find us on find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. And on Podcast Addict. <laughs> we should leave that in. <laughs> Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds!